0: Hey, good morning, crowd, family, and happy, happy Sunday! Uh, listen, I want to give a shout out to Tony and Martha Fiatiori uh, out there in Oregon. Uh, we love you and miss you. And also, a shout out to brother Dave Grimaldo out there in Arizona. Uh, what you say now, brother Dave? Love you and miss you as well. If you have your Bibles turn to Titus chapter three, Titus chapter three verses one and two is today's text. Again, Titus chapter three verses one and two. We're now in part six of our series, Doctrine and Devotion. Again, Titus 3, verses 1 and 2. Now, before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And the focus was on grace, say grace, God's amazing grace. And Paul is simply showing Titus what living in response to God's grace looks like. And I gave you five points. And point number one was the access through grace. Remember that? The access through through grace. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So God's grace brings salvation. We don't go out and get salvation. It comes to us. And we have the opportunity to receive it. It's available to all, but must be received in order to be activated in one's life. And point number two was the ability— of grace, the ability of grace. And His grace not only saves us, but it also continues working in us. And it not only redeems us, but it also reforms us, not only saves us, but also sanctifies us. His grace never, listen, His grace is never is never passive or neutral. It continues to have an impact and also an influence in and upon our lives. Look at verse 12. It says that grace teaches us, or in other words, trains us, what to say no to. Verse 12 says Say no to what? Ungodliness and worldly passions. And it it not only teaches us what to say no to, but it also teaches us uh, what to do, what to do. Let's read the remainder of verse 12. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And then point number three was the anticipation in grace. Remember that? The anticipation in grace. Remember, the grace in, in the gospel, what it does, it refocuses our sight, and we shouldn't just live for Him, but we should also look for Him. And look at verse 13, while we wait, say wait, while, while we wait, that conveys the idea of persistent expectation, while we wait uh, for the blessed hope, for our blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now remember, if the grace of God is truly working in our hearts, there'll be an awareness of and a longing for the return of Jesus. There'll be uh, some evidence, say evidence, uh, of life preparation uh, for the return of Jesus. And this, that's, that's our blessed hope. He, he's, he's our blessed hope. It's not heaven, even though heaven will be great. Our blessed hope is seeing Jesus face-to-face, where we will have a greater knowledge, connection, and communion with Him than ever before. Isn't that awesome? Someone say amen. Oh, and don't forget what the text says. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that says that Jesus, right? It's very clear. Jesus is God. And then point number four was the author, the author of grace. And that's in verse 14. It says, who gave Himself for us to redeem us, did you get that? Who gave himself, himself, for us to redeem us from all wickedness. This means to set, to, to, to set free by payment of ransom. He, in other words, he, he paid the price. He was a perfect sacrifice. He gave himself. Then it says, a people that are his very own. We are Jesus, if we're saved, we are Jesus' portion, the lot of his inheritance, the jewels of his crown, his fullness, his peculiar people. And it says, eager to do what is good. Did you get that? Eager to do what is good. Listen, as believers, we are to be actively and also aggressively pursuing the good works that God would have us to do. And then the fifth point was the appeal, the appeal to grace. And that's in verse 15. Look at verse 15a. These then are the things you should teach. And then Paul tells Timothy, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Uh, These things you should teach refers to to doctrinal truths, to to sound doctrine that Paul had just set forth. Now, Paul is telling Titus to preach the word of God publicly, to, to speak the truth of God's word, to exhort and rebuke with all authority. Now, look at verse 15b. Do not let anyone despise you. So Paul is simply telling Titus, when you speak with all authority, when you do that, make sure you back it up with your life so that no one will despise you for your actions, your attitudes, and for the message that you preach. This now brings us to today's text. And the title of my message for today is Being Model Citizens. Say that, Being Model Citizens. Now, as Christians, I want you to follow me here. As Christians... We must always remember that we have dual citizenship. Therefore, we have obligations as citizens to, or citizens of, should I say, of the United States. Now, though it's true that we serve Jesus as Lord and not the government, it is also true that as Christians, we are morally obligated to perform. As listen, as citizens of our country. Now, listen. Just because we are citizens of heaven doesn't mean that we minimize our responsibilities here on earth. Just because John 17, 14 simply says that we are not of this world doesn't mean that we ignore our responsibilities as citizens. Okay, We we have dual citizenship. We are citizens of God's kingdom slash heaven and citizens of the United States of America. And what Paul does, Paul makes it very clear that believers have dual citizenship. Write this down, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Philippians 1, verse 1. If you're still with me, say amen. Philippians 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. That's heavenly citizenship. Then he says, at Philippi. That's earthly citizenship. Listen, friends, we must be good citizens, model Citizens, so that God will be glorified in and through our lives. Because to be a good Christian, listen now, to be a good Christian means to be a good citizen. Warren Risby said this the best citizen ought to be the Christian citizen. Love that. Today's text couldn't be more timely. And friends, during these unprecedented times, we as Christians more than anyone else should be good citizens. We are to model good citizenship. And today's text shows us how to do just that. Two verses, just two verses today, and two points. So if you're ready, say yes. Come on, say yes. Point number one is: write this down: is the rulers. Write that down, the rulers. The rulers. And this speaks of our responsibility to government. It speaks of our responsibility to government. Look at verse 1a with me. Verse 1a of chapter 3. And Paul says, remind the people. And I want to stop there. Remind the people. The teaching Paul is about to give here, it's not new. It's not new, friends. The churches have heard it. Before the the tense, the tense indicates that Titus is to go on. This now to go on reminding continuously. You see, much of what we hear in sermons, uh, in Bible studies, or even in our daily devotions is a reminder, say reminder, a reminder of what we already know. Now I realize that you know we we want new insights from God's word. I, I get that, but often we need to be reminded to put into practice what we already know. So Paul Paul tells Titus to remind the people. Remind them of what? To remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient. Did you get that? He's to remind them of that. This idea of being subject and, and obeying the rulers and authorities is not something new. And it must have been Christianity 101. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because Titus wasn't told to teach them. He was told to what? Remind them. Remind them. So Titus is to remind the people about their social relationship in society. And it's first to the rulers and authorities. Got it? Now, the Cretans were known for being rebellious people. So Titus is to keep reminding the believers in Crete, about their obligation to subject and to obey the rulers and authorities. And he was to bring this uh, to the center, the center of their thinking about themselves as citizens. Now notice Paul uses uh, two terms to designate government without pointing to any specific form of government or person. He says two rulers, say that, two rulers, so this it refers, or rulers would, would apply, should I say, would apply to the Roman emperors, but by further application it refers to uh, the supreme civil powers in any form of government. And then he says, uses the term, and authority, Say authorities. It refers to, to deputies of the supreme ruler in the chain of command in any government system. Uh, for us, these two designations uh, would refer to everything from the president, down to the city government slash also local police. Let's look at the text again. To be subject to rulers and authorities. That word "subject" or "submissive" or "submission" is the Greek word hupatasso Say that hupatasso It means to 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 get under, to arrange yourself under someone. It's it's rank underneath. It's it's a military term describing the lining up of soldiers under the commanding officer. So the idea here of submission is more to the position than to the person. Got it? More to the position than to the person. Now, the three institutions that have been ordained by God in this world are, first of all, the family. These are three institutions that are ordained by God in this world. The first one is the family. Say that. Just write down the family. The family is a community of related people, who care for one another. There's, there's commitment, there, there's love, and, and there's fellowship, and there's sharing, there's security and stability, uh, there, there's labor, trust, provision, submission. You got that? Submission and authority. There's a set order of authority in the family. And you'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Again, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, and also in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, Ephesians 5, 23. And I want you to follow me here. God has designated, got to get this, has designated the husband as the head of the family. The wife is to submit to her husband, and the children in turn are to submit to the parents. That's where we get the word hupotosil, submission. Now listen, when this set order of authority It's followed, it makes for a blessed, happy, unified home. When it's neglected or ignored, things get out of place, out of order, causing confusion, discord, and turmoil in the family. So the first institution that God ordained in this world is a family. The second one is the church. The church. Write that down. The church. The church is a community of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ friends the head of the church and we know this right the head of the church is who it's Jesus it's Jesus Christ and you find that in colossians 1:18 again colossians 1:18 also 1st Corinthians 11:3 i just referred to that earlier Ephesians 5:23 Ephesians 5:23 and Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 Ephesians 4:15 the whole church is to submit to his leadership now follow me here under Christ all the pastors and elders, and then the deacons and other members of the congregation. Now listen, when God's order is maintained in the church, there's blessing, there's harmony and unity, but when that order okay, is violated, there'll be division and hurt. The third institution ordained by God in this world is the government, the family, the church, the government. The government is a community of people who are brought together under central leadership. They, speaking of the government, are to have as their interest the mutual good of all other citizens. You'd hope so, right? The submission, now listen, the submission of the citizens to the authorities of the government will produce a peaceful society. If you got it, you got it. So, as Christians, submission is to be our our regular response to the government. To the government. Listen, submission focuses not on personality or the person, but on the position or slash the office. Now get this. If we are going to live missionally, it starts with submissive hearts. Got it? Now, the Roman Empire was ruled by Nero and it wasn't Nero himself, he he was not a, a nice guy. He was a ruthless, evil ruler. And this pagan government was antagonistic toward Christianity. And yet Christians were instructed to submit. To submit. Why is that? Well, let's look and see what Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome 10 years earlier in Romans 13, chapter 13, verse 1, Romans 13, 1, and there he, uh, Paul teaches that all government is set up by God, and therefore we must submit to its authority. And it says this, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, This is what it says, no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So Paul repeats it twice, that governments are established by God, Listen, friends, authority is an instrument in the hand of God. Now, around the same time that Paul wrote Titus, Peter writes to the Christian and says in 1 Peter 2.13, 1 Peter 2.13, he says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. For whose sake? For the Lord's sake to every human authority. Did you get that? We do it for the Lord's sake, whether to the emperor as a supreme Authority. So we are to subject, submit ourselves under the authority of the government. So so that's the attitude. See attitude. Now notice the action. Okay. The attitude is to submit. Now notice the action. Let's look at the text. To be obedient. That is the action. This gives further clarification excuse me, clarification, excuse me, to the meaning and result of submission. Submission starts with our attitude. And obedience is the action. It's the outward expression of that attitude. So we are to do what we're told. Friends, as cruel and as ruthless and as evil and unjust as the rulers and authorities in the New Testament times were, Paul and Peter both say, obey. 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 In fact, submission was the norm for Christians. Rebellion was foreign to them. And you see, to obey the government is to obey God who put that government in place. So so this begs the question, are there times, are there times when we must follow God instead of the government? Well, of course. Of course. It doesn't mean that there are no exceptions to this rule. There are are conditions to this rule. We are to obey the government, but not unconditionally. Listen, nowhere does the Bible teach unconditional obedience to the government. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Come on, if you're safe, say amen. Listen, our loyalty, okay, our first loyalty is to God. And if our duty to Him comes in into collision with our duty to the government, our duty to God takes precedence. Got it? We are bound by a higher allegiance to God. Let me give you some examples here. In Exodus chapter 1 verses 16 through 21, the midwives in Egypt refuse to kill male children. Pharaoh said, kill them. The midwife says, no. In Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3, Meshach Shadrach and Abednego refused to obey the law to worship a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 6, a law was passed that no one can, can pray, can pray except to the king under penalty of death for 30 days. Daniel opened his windows towards Jerusalem and got on his knees and prayed three times a day, giving thanks to his God. In the book of Acts, after Peter healed a man born lame, Peter and John were arrested for preaching about Jesus and put in jail. And so the the religious authorities, the religious authorities, it's interesting there because this is a little different, but the religious authorities, not the government authorities, the religious authorities determined to stop them from teaching about Jesus. However, Peter said in Acts 4, 19 through 20, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so later the religious authorities, again, the religious authorities brought Peter and John before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. In Acts 5, 28 and 29, it says this, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter responded, we must obey God rather than men. Now it was the religious authorities who didn't like what they're doing, not necessarily the government authority. So this is a little bit different. Now, government has some authority over some things. God has all authority over all things. Now, now, now remember Romans 13.1 makes it very clear that it's God who gives government authority. And in verse 4 of Romans chapter 13, it says the government is God's servant. Did you get that? God's servant. So there's a lesson here. And what's the lesson? Here it is. Obey the government. Obey the government. We are to obey the government unless it goes against the nature and character of God and His Word. Now, with that being said, let's talk about our current situation with COVID-19 and suspending of religious gatherings. As the government suspends or puts restrictions on religious gatherings because of the risk of getting the virus, We should be obedient to that. That's not naive. That's biblical. That's biblical. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, what about Hebrews 10.25, where it says, to not forsake the assembly, to not forsake the fellowship, as some are in the habit of doing. What that verse is saying, friends, is that not meeting had become a habit. Just like in our day, where Christians are in the habit of not coming to church. And they'll come once or twice a month. This text, Hebrews 10:25, is confronting the casual approach to corporate worship. Now listen, and, and you could totally disagree with me. You won't hurt my feelings, all right? You could totally disagree with me. I believe that the motive to not allow us to assemble is for the public good and not anti-Christian. I'm going to say it again. I believe that the motive To not allow us to assemble is for the public good and not anti-Christian. Let me make my point. This is how I know this is not anti-Christian because the restrictions not to meet or limitations on how many can meet is broadly applied to all religions, not just Christianity, not just to Christians. Got it? That's why I believe it's not anti-Christian. Also, the duration of these restrictions are temporary, not permanent, are temporary, not permanent, permanent, excuse me. That being said, and I say this with love, this is not a time for civil disobedience. Got it? This is not a time for civil disobedience, not even close. Now, is it inconvenient? Yup. Is it difficult? Yup. Is it anti-Christian? Is this persecution? No. No. Now, if the gov- government excuse me, makes this permanent or tries to censor us, that's a different thing. And if that's the case, then we need to respond accordingly. But for now, for right now, we need to obey the government. We need to obey the government. That's what God's Word says. So point number one is the rulers. Point number two is the rest. Say that, the rest. Point number two is the rest. If you're still with me, say amen, the rest. Notice what Paul does. Paul goes from our relationship to the government and now turns our relationship to everybody in the community. It's about loving our neighbor. Look at verse 1b. To be ready to do whatever is good. To be ready to do whatever is good. Listen, it's not enough for Christians to just be law abiding, but we are to be public spirited as well. Now, remember the theme? The theme of doing good is a major theme throughout the book of Titus, right? Let's go back to the text. To be ready to do whatever is good. Say ready. Come on, say ready. Ready. Okay. Say ready. This is not, listen now, this is not reluctance. This in, 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 in the context means that we, that, that we are prepared and willing to participate in activities or deeds that comes to our attention. Activities or deeds that promote the welfare of the community. Listen friends, as Christians, we have an obligation to do good things in and for our community. Ready and immediately to do good. I want you to follow me here. It's a kind of attitude that does more than complain about how bad the schools are, but that goes out and actually does something proactive to help solve the problems. It's a kind of attitude that doesn't wait to be asked, asked to beautify a portion of the community, but that it goes out and actively takes care of the problem before being invited to do so. It's a community oriented attitude attitude a very Christian attitude to have. Now just think, just think of how much more a, a ready and open heart to the gospel our community will have if we give proof of an active love for the community. Now if you're safe, say amen. We should take the lead as Christians. We should take the lead to do good works as a witness of love to our community. It's about loving our neighbor. And Paul continues that thought in verse 2. Follow me now, verse 2. To slander no one. To slander no one. To slander, the word slander in the Greek is blasphemio. It means to blaspheme. Slander, obviously. Revile, defame, malign. To injure the reputation of by slanderous remarks. So we are not to malign, not to slander or speak injuriously or fight against others. 1 Corinthians 4.12 says this. 1 Corinthians 4.12 says this. When we are cursed, we bless. Did you get that? When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. Now if you're saved, say amen. Come on, say amen. Let's not use this COVID-19 crisis... And politicize it. Okay? And politicize it. Let's not be offensive nor nor argumentative in speech or behavior. Then he says, to be peaceable, to be peaceable. We are to be peaceable, not confrontational. Do you get that? Okay? To remain at peace and, and live in harmony with everyone. As Christians, friends, is now, we should never be known for attacking people. Or having a reputation for verbal or physical assault. Got it? We are to be peaceable. And then he says, and considerate. Say that. Considerate. The word considerate or consideration is a word that is often translated gentleness or or meekness. It's one of the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5.23. Galatians 5.23. It doesn't mean weakness. Rather, it means strength under control. The idea here is not pursuing people to is not pushing people around, okay, not angry, not unjust, or harsh, and not self-promoting. It's, it's considering how we talk and how we act and, and how that impacts the people around us. It's the golden rule. That's found in Matthew 7.12. Matthew 7.12, so in everything do to others, what you would have them do to you. And then then Paul says, and to show true humility toward all men. All men. In other words, we are to treat others with dignity and grace, humbly showing respect for the personhood of others. Respect, in fact, for all. Not just some, but for all. For believers and non-believers. For those who you agree with, those who you don't agree with. For all. So there's a lesson, here's, here's the lesson, is love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love them. Serve them. Love them whether you agree with them or not. Love them whether they're serving God or not. Love your neighbor. Now I need to say this, loving your neighbor, and you got to get this, doesn't mean not to confront Sin. Or that we don't call out error in false teachers who are spreading false teaching. It doesn't mean that we are never to talk or, or expose the evils of people. Jesus himself did so in Matthew chapter 23. It means this. It means that when we need to confront sin or call out error or expose evil, that we do it in a spirit of love. Of love. That we would speak the truth in love. That's loving our neighbor. So so what's the result of being obedient to the government and loving your neighbor, our neighbors? This is the result. You will give Christianity credibility. I'm going to say it again. You will give Christianity credibility. And they will begin to worship God because of the good works they see coming out of your life in my life. Matthew 5:16 says in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Back in chapter 2, verse 10 of Titus, it says so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our savior attractive. Friends, we should model good Citizenship that everyone who's not a Christian can't help but to say good things about us and glorify God in heaven. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, Christians, listen. People are watching how we respond to this virus. They're watching us. If we say we're Christians, they're watching us. So question, what is it that they see in your life? At work, if you're able to work right now, in the home, or on social media? What is it that they see in your life? I want to spend the remainder of our time sharing my heart with you. And I want you all to know that ever since this pandemic and the suspending and restrictions of in person church services, church gatherings, that I have been seeking God for wisdom and guidance. And as your pastor, I am very, very careful not to react and not to make decisions based on my feelings or my emotions. There are four questions that I ask myself to make sure that I'm putting things into perspective regarding this crisis. And I want to pose those questions to you as well, to all of us. And and, and question number one is this. Are we using wisdom? Are you and I, are we as a church, as believers, Are we using wisdom? I hear a lot of Christians talking about faith. you got to have faith. I get that. But I don't hear a whole lot of Christians talking and speaking about wisdom. Are we using wisdom? Question number two. Are we valuing others above ourselves? Are we valuing others above ourselves? Could I... Could I potentially spread this virus to someone else? And friends, what can I do? And and, and what, 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 what can I do on my part to limit the spread? In other words, am I loving my neighbor? If I love my neighbor, I'm going to practice social distancing. I'm going to adhere to the ordinances that the government gives. Are we valuing others above ourselves? The third question is this What kind of message are we sending how we respond to the government? As Christians, what kind of message are we sending how we respond to the government? Huh? Is it obedience or rebellion? And then question number four is this Question number four Could it be that God is using this virus to expose? the current spiritual condition of the church. I'm going to say it again. Could it be that God is using this virus to expose the current spiritual, spiritual condition of the church? Listen, friends. Are we as a church more focused on our religious freedoms rather than our relationship with the Redeemer, Jesus Christ? Are we more focused Focus on going to church rather than being the church? You see, as Christians, the first thing that we think about or that we thought about when this pandemic hit was that God is allowing this pandemic to open the eyes of non believers, to awaken them. And that could be true. And I believe that's true. But I also believe that God allowed this pandemic to awaken. The Christians. The Christians. Listen, we, we, we are in an unprecedented time in our history. And we have no idea, no idea how long this will last. But that's okay. And I say it's okay because as Christians, we believe that God is sovereign. Right? God is sovereign. You see, God determines all that happens. He has ordained, say, ordained everything that comes to pass And that by His sovereignty and His providence, He governs down to every aspect of life, even to every epidemic and pandemic. And I want you to get this. Nothing, and I mean nothing, takes God by surprise, including the coronavirus. And while this virus has spread throughout the world, it is not outside of God's control. Can someone please say amen? So, questions here. Why haven't we met? Why? Because it's not safe. The question is, when will we meet? When it's safe. Can you say that? When it's safe. And by the way, just this past week, the tear was moved to purple. Not a good thing. To purple. Listen, I deeply miss every one of you. I do. I miss seeing you. I miss hugging you, speaking with you in person. I miss that. I miss preaching in front of you. You think I like preaching in front of a video camera? But this is something that I have to do right now. But I miss all of you deeply. But safety is my priority. You see, it's my responsibility not only to to feed you spiritually, but also to protect you physically. That's what a shepherd does. He takes care of his flock. And that's what I'm doing. Your safety right now is the utmost importance. Now, there are things that we can do, as we continue to obey those God has placed over us, speaking of the government, and until it's safe to reopen. And I want to give you four things that we can do. And they all start with Ps. Number one is this, is be prayerful. Be prayerful. Pray for our government leaders. Pray for them, friends, for our national, state, county, city leaders. First Timothy Chapter two, verses one and two says to do that, and whether you agree with them or not, whether you like them or not, we are called to pray for them, as believers. We are called to pray for them. So we need to pray for our government leaders. We also to pray for first responders, first responders, medical medical personnel, firefighters, police officers. Pray for protection upon them to keep them safe. They are exposed to this virus more than anyone else. We're also to pray for our pastors and and leaders. Pray for us, that God give us continued wisdom and guidance as we deal with this crisis, as we deal with this virus, and when it's safe and right and wise to reopen. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, Maybe you can't see them in person, but you can pray for them. Pray for them, that God would comfort them and and that God would speak to them and that God would sustain them and that God would continue to, to encourage them. Pray also for people to get saved. Pray that in the midst of all this, that people will get saved, that the gospel would spread faster and farther than this virus. Pray for them. And hopefully this will develop in us a habit of praying. So be prayerful. The second thing is this: be providers, be providers. And what I mean by that is doing good to others, doing good to others. Listen, in this time of crisis, people are losing their jobs, man, and they're down and and they're depressed. So what you can do right now as a provider, what you can do now right now is you can check on your neighbor. You can buy someone groceries. You can make a meal. You can cut someone's lawn. You can send a card or or send a text or or send an email or better than that, better yet, do this. Make a call. Call someone and talk with them. Talk with them. That's loving your neighbor. Right now, I think about our our food pantry here at Crowd Christian Fellowship. It is amazing. Every Wednesday from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., and every Friday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., we are giving out groceries, food, to families, to our community. We are feeding, get this now, we are feeding roughly about 300 families per week. Now, friends, for those of us that serve in the food pantry at Crowd, we're taking our temperature, we're putting our face mask on, and we're practicing social distancing as best as we can. But I got to tell you, when those cars come by, in the front of the church, and we're loading those cars, I see the tears in the eyes of those people saying, thank you, thank you so much for doing this. And our response is, it's our pleasure, because we're here to serve you. Now, we need more help on Wednesdays and Fridays. And if you can help, if you're healthy, and we'll take your temperature, wear your face mask, and mask, and, and practice social distancing, we need your help. And if you want to help, just, just text me or, or call me or, or, or email me. It's an amazing way to reach out to the community. This, this is the time. Listen now. This is the time to be the hands and feet of Jesus, a time to share His love, a time to love our neighbors. Friends, we should be the first to volunteer, to, to put others first. We need to set self aside for the needs of others so be prayerful be providers be proclaimers of the gospel be proclaimers of the gospel listen people at this time people people need hope they need hope friends they're depressed they're down and and we have what they need we have the hope of who come on a hope the hope of Jesus Christ and God God is using Such a time as this to draw others to himself. And you see, friends, the lost need to see that we don't get, listen, that we don't let, excuse me, that we don't let our circumstances overrun our faith or overrun our joy. We are joyful in our outlook, in our outlook, we are joyful in our outlook because of our hope in Jesus Christ. And by the way, let me say this. Instead of posting news articles or your opinions on social media, instead, why don't you post scripture, post the word of God. So be prayerful, be providers, be proclaimers of the gospel, and finally, be patient. Be patient. We need to be patient. In our leadership Zoom meeting, as we were talking about what are the next steps to take and Is it safe to reopen? Pastor Joe, he said, we need to be patient. And he's absolutely right. We need to be patient. We don't like to wait, and it's a struggle, okay? But we need to be patient. In fact, waiting is not passive, but active. And so as you're waiting, okay, you can grow in your personal walk with God, You can draw closer to Him. You can get grounded in His Word, okay? You can have family devotions. You can watch the online messages and connect with our online Bible studies with Pastor Joey, Dan, Gil, Diane, and Chris and allow Him and His Word to mold you and to shape you during this time. Listen, I know that we're not meeting right now. I get that. But guess what, friends? We have the written Word of God at our disposal. The written Word of God right in front of us. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but only the Word of God will last forever. Spend time in His Word. So be prayerful be providers, be proclaimers of the gospel, and be patient. Please be patient. This will come to pass. Till then, be patient. As I come to close and wrap this up, I want you to know that this virus is not in control. Got it? This virus is not in control. God is. Say that. God is. And He's at work in our world, in our country, in our state, in our county, in our city, in our community, in our church. He's at work in my life, in your life as well. Can I get an amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, might we embrace the truths that we have heard today in your word. Might we be model citizens? Might we live in a way that demonstrates the effect of the gospel? And so, Lord, give us wisdom and sustain us with your grace as we go through this crisis. You are God. You are God. And because you are God, you're in complete control. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone say amen. Now, if you've never invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, and you want to do that today, all you got got to do is call upon Him to save you, and He will save you. You see, Acts 2.21 says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, not might, will be saved. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So if that's you, if you want to invite Him into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior and to follow Him, bow your heads and close your eyes and repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life to save me, to cleanse me, and to change me. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord, and I believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I am saved, sealed, sanctified, justified, Purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. And I will serve you from this day forth until you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we would love to hear from you. In fact, you can email us at contact at cryout.org. That's contact at cryout.org. we love to hear from you. So listen, friends, love you, miss you, have a wonderful Sunday, and I will see you next week.